Hello, everyone, and welcome to That's Not Quite All Folks, a Looney Tunes podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hallam, joined by... I'm Jordan Schmidt. Uh, last week, I opened with a quote from Apocalypse Now. This week, I'm opening with a quote from Fears Moving in Las Vegas. We were so, somewhere along Barstow, on the edge of the desert. Drugs began to take hold. <laughs> ah, yes, because today, we're just getting weird. This is getting weird with it because today we're going to be looking at three shorts that are just that they're really out there. Let it yeah. be in concept or execution or execution. Mark, you all right? <laughs> I, I hope you're all right because, like, I I, I I I I got a little baked before we started, and um, I'm not freaking out. Uh, <laughs> So, um, can you tell me your dealer after the show? Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. You, you know that, you know that guy. Yeah, you. you know, you know that guy that we know from um, that that thing from a couple of years ago. That 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 junction. Oh that, yeah, that, junction, that guy. Him. Him. Oh yeah. His, no, no, not him. His brother. Oh, his brother was oh. a really cool dude. His oh. his name's his name's Jeffers. Uh, Jeffers. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, Jeffers is his code name. And, um, yes, yes, yeah, but, um, uh, look, these are three very weird cartoons that we're covering today. And this is in an era of American industrialism that you can't even say that a lot of these were fueled by marijuana or by harder drugs. It's not like the sixties where you could say, ha, they were high off their tits. No, not exactly. This is the kind of thing where you have to chalk it up to just people in the Warner Brothers animation unit having really wild ideas, not only in execution, but in animation. And mm -hmm. instead of just the usual constricted character-based Looney Tunes stuff, Bugs, Daffy, you don't know what, they just went more out there because they could, because they weren't, I mean, they say this all the time. Looney Tunes cartoons were not meant specifically for kids. They were meant for themselves. They were meant for the animators to enjoy. And if somebody else enjoyed them, what the hell? And a lot of these were just because, hey, you know, somebody will be in this theater. Somebody will get a kick out of it. It's going to be weird as hell, but, you know, that's the mood we're in today. Sorry, I cut you off before we even did, you even said what ones we're offering today. I'm sorry. All right, yeah, so uh, the shorts we will be covering today are Porky and Wacky Land, Eden on the Cuff, or The Moth Who Came to Dinner. Okay. Are we bugs? Bower bugs? Okay, yeah. And two of the, you, you chose two of these, Mark. You did, you chose the two Clampet ones, which, and again, thank you for that. Um, I've been. <laughs> it wasn't on purpose, I swear. Last week I said some really nice things about Bob Clampet. And then I, I look at this week's um, schedule, and the, the, the top two cartoons that we're doing are Clampet cartoons. And I'm like, well, well, now I have to say even more nice things about them, hopefully, because we're on a streak. But yeah, the, the, Mark, you chose the two Clampet ones when we put this together, and I, I threw in Bowery Bugs because something about the content of that just always seemed very odd to me and, and we'll get to that when we get there but it, it, it all it didn't seem like your normal everyday 
Bugs cartoon, and not even just in the cartoon itself. But we have some Clampett ones to get through first, so I'm burying the lead here. <laughs> yes. So go on. All right. So so shall I shall I start with Porky and Wackyland? Yes. Okay. So this is yeah the first one we're covering today is Porky and Wackyland, which is one of those cartoons that people who love talking about cartoons love to call one of the greatest seven minute short form cartoons of all time, just because of what was accomplished in a short period of time how outlandish these our animators were willing to go and how much logic was askewed. And yeah, Bob Clampett directs this one. Uh, Warren Foster wrote it. Uh, this came out September 24th, 1938, which uh, off the cuff, but that is like 82 years ago today. Oh, yes. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that we, we scheduled that. Um, September 24th, 1938, this comes out. And if there, uh, there's a couple of mo moderately um, important things that happen on this date. First of all, Don Budge becomes the first tennis player to win a Grand Slam. There's a lot of tennis um, uh, records and, and highlights on this date, so there must have been some very big tennis competition. Also in theaters, one of the top films of the box office was a Marx Brothers film called Room Service. And, uh, which is a rare Marx Brothers film I haven't seen. So I don't have a lot of backstory on this one. I just equate it to Bob Clampett saying, let's try this, which was a lot of the Bob Clampett 30s and early 40s ones were just Clampett going, let's try this, see if it works. So I'll dive in because I, I, I don't think there's anything that can contextualize this one at all because it's wild. Um, pretty much, pretty much all we need to know is at this point in time, Porky was their biggest star. So yes. And just go is let's do a Porky short and let's just go nuts with it. Exactly. And this is also a little bit after Mel Blanc starts voicing Porky, uh, consistently, you know, it's him. It's, it's Mel. Mel's got his Porky voice down pat. Okay. So getting into it, this one literally begins with a paper boy interrupting the title screen. Like, you know, saying extra, extra rate all about it and then going paper mister and shoving it into the camera so we can see it, which is really cool, actually. And it sets up yeah. our exposition. Yeah. It's it's, you know, Porky is going into Africa to search for the last living uh, dodo bird, which was, you know, extinct animal at the time, still is. And the, the last I, I checked the number of zeros on this, the dodo bird, the reward for it is four trillion dollars or as Elon Musk calls it breakfast. Um <laughs> But yeah, we, we, we get to Porky and his plane uh, over the uh, over the oceans. And the, again, this is a normal Mel Blanc Porky characterization. He's doing his stuttering, you know, it's fine. The character's been well established. So we fly Porky into, you know, from Africa to dark Africa, to darker Africa, to darkest Africa, which is basically just like deep pit in the heart of Africa. And hopefully not a racist uh, joke by Bob Clampett. But anyway, I love the detail of Porky's plane when it lands, instead of having, you know, bringing down Landon Giller, just grows feet and skids to a halt. It's very Clampett logic. And again, you have the plane sort of just walking Porky into the, you know, the danger and stuff, which is like, it's like the horse in Super Rabbit. It's like, I guess it's a character now. You know, that's, that's, that's very interesting. Um, okay, so we have a signpost that Porky gets to. It literally just says, wacky land, it can happen here. Population, two nuts and a squirrel. Clever, not subtle, but clever. I do love the vocalization of a guy, like as, as the signpost comes up, of a guy going, It can 
again, no subtlety. Like, did, did one of the Koyaanisqatsi guys wander loose again? That's a joke for my uh, very uh, obscure film people listening to this, all zero of them. All right. Our first big what-the-hell gag of this short is, you know, Porky sort of wandering through with the plane. And I don't know where some big outlandish monster comes around, this big white hairy thing, then sort of just, you know, is snarling and everything, then does a little cute face, goes, boo, and that scares Porky. That, I think, is, is a cool little opening gag that sort of sets the tone. I don't know how, how much we want to talk about the other Porky Wacky Land short, but... Oh! And in Dough for the Dodo, that <sighs> monster is kind of recontextualized as Gossamer, because they, they colored him red in the uh, recolorization. So, like, it's like they recontextualize him. Yeah, oh, Gossamer, he's always been here. Kind of George Lucas did a bit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Bob, Bob Clampett and George Lucas would have got along, I think. Um, but yeah, and, and also for the record, yes, uh, Warner Brothers releases Dope for the Dodo like a good 10 or so years after this to cash in on it with colorization. It's not as good. The, the, the timing is off on a lot of the jokes. I prefer the original, so that's why I'm covering the original. Um, so yeah, uh, we, we have the sunrise here, and like four or five people are holding it up. That's cool. That's very Clampett. And Porky is just bewildered by all of this. And a lot of this is, is Porky bewildered. It's supposed to have been a very short script. Yeah. Because a, a, a lot of this short is literally just... It, it was always just like written in dialogue. Like, we then have a camera pan across whatever the hell you guys want to do. Just, yeah. just, just we'll go nuts. Draw whatever you want. We'll add it. Yeah. Bob Clampett, was, Bob Clampett went, probably went, you know, do whatever you want. Which I don't know why I made Don Clampett sound like um, Ralph Bakshi there, but uh, similar, similar. Do whatever you want. We have a, a flower that shoots up and starts playing the drums, and then we just have a good thirty-second scroll of all this abstract, outlandish animation, which is genuinely really zany and really cool. And again, I'm not even going to list all the oh, insanity no, no. because I just imagine you guys have, have have sought this out and are watching it and know what I mean. And if you haven't seen this cartoon, watch. give it a watch. It's wild and it's required viewing. But they linger. My favorite, my, I think the one they linger on the longest is a guy trapped in a prison that's just bars yes. he's holding up going, let me yeah. out. And a cop just comes along and, and beats him anyway. It's It just goes with the most wild logic possible. And it's just, again, it, it's like they're showing off. But And the fact that it all pops like this in black and white. This is a black and white cartoon. It's not in color. And it's all just black and white, wild animation and wild cartoons. And it just works for me. Mm -hmm. It's not substantial. None of this cartoon is very substantial, but it works. It really does. And Porky is literally just a bystander to all this madness and taking everything in with his jaw agape. And then there's a, a, a puff of smoke coming around the corner and it ends up being a half cat, half dog that's arguing with itself. Which looks familiar. Which Gives Nickelodeon an idea. Literally, sixty years yes. down the road, it, it, it's the inspiration yeah. for Cat Dog, which was a yeah, fine show. It was fine. Wonder. Oh, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. After this is the little Three Stooges-headed monster that comes around and starts arguing yeah. with itself as well. Again, clever throw it at the wall and see what sticks kind of ideas. Um, and then, and then we actually get to some some semblance of a plot where Porky goes. 
to a, a little uh, sandwich board guy with a sign saying information about the dodo, asking where is he, and a billion arrows come out. Yeah, that way. <laughs> yeah, and then he literally he opens up the sandwich board, and there's a black pathway that he pushes Porky down down a drain into a literal stage saying introducing the dodo, and it's all these doors that open up. This is not an acid trip I took no. last night, for the record. This is just oh my god, this is just wild. Uh, we get this Dodo character uh, coming in on a powerboat and then anchoring Yeah, and then the boat and, sinks, which is um, a great, great... Yeah, that's that's great. And the Dodo design is very Looney Tunes and has a very stylized, well-done look to him, even for a slimly used character. It feels, yeah, very 1930s, very early animation sort of character, sort of Agent of Chaos. And Agent of Chaos is what this Dodo character uh -huh. is. Like, picture Daffy Duck in this era times a thousand this Dodo is one of the most uncontrollable, damn near obnoxious characters that's ever been a forefront of a cartoon. And yet he yes, works for yes, me. Yes, he, he does work for me. me. And also, uh, also, speaking of like early Daffy Duck, he literally has early Daffy Duck as the voice. That's pretty much the voice that Mel is doing here. It's, it, it, it's, it's crazy. Mm, it's not Mel. Oh. Who voiced the Dodo? It's not Mel. Billy Butcher voiced the Dodo. Really? Yeah, he did. He's, he's credited as, as doing it. Yeah, Billy Bletcher, who did a lot of auxiliary voices that Mel Blanc couldn't do in this era. He also was a voice actor in Porky's first cartoon. Uh, he's one of those guys that was just on around the... The, the Warner Brothers people must have liked him, as I'm going to get into later in this episode. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's, he has this very sped-up Billy Bletcher voice. And yeah, I'm really done yes to the dodos. Like, just this very stilted sort of delivery that I think works, honestly, for this cartoon. It's 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 like a sort of Popeye uh, kind of thing. And, um, you know, it, it, it's a good contrast for, for Porky, honestly. And he's also making fun of Porky in his, a lot of his delivery. And yeah, just the Dodo bouncing off of Porky is zanier, more energetic than even the Daffy cartoons of this era. The, the Dodo's bouncing off everything in sight, just causing all of this sort of action and bonkers energy. Um, and then, like, we have, like, like there's there's a bit where the Dodo draws a full door, emits basically a Judge Doom scream when the Porky approaches, and then Porky slams right into the door while, while the Dodo just watches through a nearby window. And, like, we, and then next we have him, like, basically, like, opening up an elevator door and literally having the, without an elevator, and just having the, just the, goes up. the doorway just going up and just Porky just, like, landing on his ass. Like, the abstract animation and physics are at an all-time WTF level here, and I think it really works. And then, like, literally, right after this, as Porky's still on the ground, we have the Dodo appearing out of the WB insignia with the Phil... <laughs> and the ...fires a slingshot up. at him and leaves. Nothing seems to be off-limits in this show. And then he rips up the scenery, builds a brick wall for Porky to run into, and Porky just sobs to himself. <laughs> Poor Porky in this cartoon. Yeah. He's going through the ringer. Yeah. Oh, my... But it, again, it's all sort of lawful because, you know, the very next thing is Porky finally capturing the Dodo, disguising as the paperboy from earlier, basically saying, uh, uh, shouting at the thing, you know, Porky finally caught the Dodo and the Dodo walks by saying, wait a minute, he did? And then Porky, you know, takes off his mask, bonks the Dodo on the head a bunch of times because if you can't beat him, join him in this universe. Yeah. And, you know, takes off and he's got him. And the ending of this is, I think the right word is immortal. This is honestly the most perfect ending for this concept. Yeah. In my opinion. 
where Porky proclaims he finally caught the last of the Dodos. The Dodo goes, yes, I'm really the last of the Dodos. Ain't I, fellas? And like a hundred Dodos pop out. Yep, he's really the last of the Dodos. Perfect. It's the best kind of non sequitur ending for me. Yeah. Uh, just everything the Porky was doing was for absolutely nothing. And I love that energy. Um, okay. Do you also like this ending? I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't get enough space. <sighs> okay. Well, actually, yeah. I, yeah. I'll talk more about it when, when, when we get to the, the rating, because I got some, uh, some hot takes on this one. <clears throat> okay, cool. Well, I'm about to, you know, I'm, I'm setting the stage for you to be more, ne- more negative than me. Yeah. So uh, that was fucking wild. That was, that was absolutely wild. I can't say it's bad, though, as it's a triumph of abstract, nonsensical, Dadaist animation. It does everything it tries to do without hindering itself. Uh, it's the kind of what-the-fuck kind of animation that even Sal- uh, Luis Buñuel or Salvador Dali would be proud of. It's damn near surrealist. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not something I put on every day. It's not exactly plot-driven or character-heavy. But I can agree that it's good, and it's classic for a reason. It's not, like, completely funny to me, but it's more of the sense of how was this done, how does this exist, and holy crap, this is wonderful. I, I, I'm I, giving it, uh, for my Anvil rating, I'm giving it a 4 out of 5. It's impressive as hell, even if it's not one of my favorites. I can I can see it for what it is, even if I don't watch a lot of cartoons like this every day. I, I, oh jeez, okay. <laughs> it's okay. Pull the band off off slowly. Right. Pull the bandaid off right. slowly. I respect the wacky nature of this, of this short. Okay. I I love how okay. the Warner Brother animators were just able to just go buck wild and just whatever the hell you wanted. I, I like the Dodo character. I like that that he he would show up again in in future. Uh, Warner Brother productions such as uh, yeah. Action Adventures. There, there's a whole episode where where they go off, where the Taichu Fitcher cast goes off into Dodo Land, and they have a. And well, wait, hold on. Actually, wait. One of their classmates is actually a, a Dodo. So how's that for, for how's that for representation? Okay, um, I'm stalling. All right. Um, <laughs> Just get to the butt. Okay. Just get to the butt market. I know you can do it. Right. This short didn't do much for me. I I okay. didn't pull any. <laughs> I mean, the conflict you can call it that. It's just Porky wants the dodo. And while while you felt like um, you know, like oh, you felt felt bad for Porky. I didn't feel anything for Porky because for a lot of this cartoon, he's just an observer. I can't really follow that. I can't really get behind that. And um, while it is memorable and i'm respected for that i just i just personally found that the dodo character was the only thing of, of entertainment value in terms of character and uh the rest of the thing just came in one year out the other for me so i'm giving it a uh, a 2.5 out of 5. so you mean to tell me that i liked a bob clampett cartoon more than you did yes wow yeah Holy crap. All right. Well, 
I'm waiting for you to say psych and then give it like a oh. five or something just so no, you get a trap. I'm not. I, I, I'm the short man. But it's fine. It, it's all good. You know. It will just let it hang there. Okay, no. Um, all right. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Bob Clampett shorts that one of us may like more than the other, second short. Oh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Oh, no. What? Really? <laughs> you like this one? Wait, no. By a little. Do you? A little. Tiny okay. Bit oh, God. Little. All right. Fine. Okay. 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 Right. <laughs> Woo. All right. <laughs> okay. The main objective for this episode is to give Jordan a heart attack by saying this short is a five out of five. Joking. It's not. Spoiler alert. It's not. Now, if anything's going to give me a heart attack, it's all the weed I've been smoking. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So. The second weird short we're going to be covering is In on the Cuff or The Moth Who Came to Dinner. That's the full title. We were confused about what title the short actually was, and it's both titles. And, and for the one you, you didn't mention, but it actually has another subtitle of or how, I love, or how I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Bob Clampett. <laughs> yes. Which you need to now add. You need to add that to the title of this episode now. <laughs> How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Bob Clampett. All right. All right. So this short was released on August 2nd, 1942. What happened that day? Well, the war. In which Brazil declared war <laughs> on Germany and Italy after the sinking of several Brazilian ships. The second one. The sequel. The one we covered last week. All right. Vietnam? No. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, in terms of the theater, the movie that was released that day was the Our Gang short, Rover's Big Chance. That was released that day. You know, the, the, the little rascals, those kids, but they're, yeah, but they're really okay. bad film upkeep, so nobody knows what the hell they're saying in those shorts anymore. But in terms of any oh, yeah. big movies, um, Disney's Bambi was in theaters at this time. So, yo, that's a good nice. one. Everyone loves Bambi. Well, yeah, you know, everyone loves Bambi, Jordan. No, I was going to say, like, you know, hunters probably don't like it because it makes them look bad. They deserve it. Anyways. <clears throat> yes, they do. Yeah, yes. So, uh, once again, uh, directed by Bob Clampett, written by Warren Foster. Before we get, like, really into it, some little uh, background information. This short yeah. has... Actors in it. <laughs> Actors. Actors. Yes, and, and Leo White, who was a silent film actor, he appeared in uh, Charlie Chaplin films. He, he, um, okay, okay th th this is kind of interesting. He directed a Charlie Chaplin short that's technically an unofficial Charlie Chaplin short because there's footage of him in it, but it's not like an officially licensed one. He helped. Okay, so it's like the front of Woody Allen. Yes, yes. Yes, kind of like that. So uh, there's some interesting trivia. He, he plays the piano player, but he doesn't have, but no. So he plays the piano player in pantomime only because this is kind of an example of Warner Brothers animation department not having that much money because 
when it came to shooting live ac live action footage, and we'll get more of this when we cover uh, you ought to be in pictures, they didn't have the equipment to record a soundtrack with their footage. So, so they can only shoot silent footage. So whenever the piano player is speaking or playing the piano, it's the piano music's dubbed in and Mel Blanc is uh, dubbing in the voice. Uh, and uh, personally, I prefer the sub. But, hey. Yeah, well, it's Mel Blanc. I mean, come on. You're going to whoosh right over that anime joke. Okay. Um, <laughs> what? Oh, um, yeah. Oh, right. Dubs Sorry, versus I, subs. I was out of it for a moment. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll proclaim again that I'm high, up, I'm, I'm high off my ass right now. Uh, <laughs> right. And... And for a short that has two titles, this short had working titles, such as The oh Moth God. and His Flame, which that was changed to oh. The Moth Meets His Flame, which was changed to In on the Cup, which was in a competition with The Moth Who Came to Dinner. I'm just going to say it right now. The Moth Who Came to Dinner is a dumb subtitle. It has barely anything to do with the short. He doesn't come to dinner. No, actually, I think the Moth has flame would actually be a bit of a better title. Yeah. This is a public domain as well, right? Yes, it is. It is also a public domain cartoon because I was able to watch this on YouTube. Hey. Uh, yes. <laughs> so was I. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, uh, the public domain. So many weird, wonderful things. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Okay, so, so I type into Bing because I hate myself. Um, a search here. I just type in like, "Oh, you know, the mother came to dinner." Wiki, and as I scroll down, it says here, and "This is is something that's in the villains wiki." Adolf Hitler. Close caption. Looney Tunes. End caption. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that Looney Tunes. I thought you were about to say that it, this was his favorite one, but then we I start our cartoon with actors, as it's a um, as a as it's still Leo White. He's performing the piano, and he's singing about how he's going to tell you a story. We have a narrator to tell us the story about this this moth who married a honeybee. Yeah, I already see some 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 pro problems there. Yes, because the yeah. bee's main objective, as told us, the narrator, the bee really wants to get married. That's her one defining trait. She really wants to get married, so she um so the moth is able to get the bee to say yes. And you know, the narrator's saying about how you know he's really happy about it. In fact, he's he's sleeping in a zoot suit. This is one of those 1940s pieces of, of clothing that I will never understand. It's just a normal suit with stripes on it. How does that make you more of a sex machine? I have no idea. Anyways. You had to be there, apparently. <laughs> so. I, I will say, Mark, I will say the best part of this cartoon is the creative, un unusual forms of animation playing with real objects and footage and rotoscoping. Oh, yeah. Like, the way you get the animated moth chewing into all of these uh, clothing pieces and, uh, and in actual um, uh, suits and things. That's very cool. 
I like that mixture because it, it, it actually has a nice little stylization, especially when these sort of get like sort of torn up and, and eaten by him. Yes, That's because uh, very cool to me. Yes, yeah, so the moth wakes up. He's like, Whippy, getting married. I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat some clothing. So he eats one dress, he gets destroyed. He eats, he eats another dress, another dress gets destroyed. He eats the fake fox, he's eating it, and then for a brief moment, folks, it has been 17 long episodes, but we finally got it. We finally got a Hitler joke. Play the music. Yay! Woo! No, but seriously, fuck Hitler and everything he stands for. Fuck Nazis, fuck fascism. Fuck him. Fuck him. Fuck him. Okay, so he's eating all this fabric, and then we just transition to him in a tuxedo. He's just singing, here comes the, here comes the bride, except he's saying, here comes the groom. And he says, here comes the groom, straight as a broom. Now, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Oh, you 1940s views on sexuality. No, I think he just meant like, uh, like posture, but um, maybe it was like a, a heteronormative joke. I don't know. Maybe straight as in like not drunk? I, not drunk? Again, you had to be there. Because as he's walking by, he... Stops by the saloon, and, and, and I really like this moment of some across song music here. Of as soon as he walks by the bar, the music turns into a, a saloon version of "Here Comes the Bride." Yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's not nice to touch. So the moth, he's like, "Wow, look at all this high quality fabrics. Wow, pre uh, pre worn cuffs." And wait a minute, and he just goes crazy. He just starts, yes. Wait a minute, is is he about to eat the rich? Hmm. <laughs> Maybe. Amazing. He eats the he destroys the men the, the men's clothes are sitting at the bar. The women are aghast, they run out, and the men are just running around, they're boxers, like, uh, oh, uh, oh. and then we, we cut to the moth, and he's just sitting on a chair. He's fat, and he, he's just like, you know, he, he's living large, and he just takes out a zipper from his mouth. He's like, ah, oh, darn those zippers, which, um, certainly in the 1940s, I was surprised that that was not a slur. That was very yeah, nice. Yeah, no, no, it was just, you know, a, a surprisingly wholesome gag from this. And, and, and what kind of got me a bit was, okay, so this is happening at a saloon, at a bar. I was kind of expecting it to be like, and he's drunk because it's a saloon, and da, da, da. but no, he's just, he just couldn't control himself, so he ate. Did the haze code nix it? Though? Maybe, I don't know. And, and, and then we got a nice little, uh, nice little gag, just a clock, and it's just Mel going, oh no, no, it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah it's just yeah. Mel going like, tick-tock, tick-tock, yeah. look what time is on the clock. As we, as we transition to the narrator, singing again about how the the bee is sad 
and to the tune of, oh, where, where has my little dog gone? Just saying, oh, where did he go? Where could he be? And it's just, uh-huh. You're not making yourself very necessary here, B. And coming later. Because then the B recognizes that, oh, no, it's a quarter after three. I gotta go get married. <laughs> Just and turns into flubber. He, <laughs> I'm missing my wedding again. Oh no! <laughs> Gonna be late. Weebo, get me that. Cause, damn it! All right, so then, then the moth gets trapped, and then we're introduced to our antagonist of the short, which is Lena Hyena from Blue Frame Roger Rabbit. Essentially, as a spider. Yeah. As a black widow, that's essentially what. I kind of love this character. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's, it's, it's a, it's an old trope. It is a trope that's been used a lot. Like, oh, the crazed, you know, woman who will just get up after any man. But um, it works here because, especially the um, the vocal performance of a uh, Sarah uh, Burner. Okay, good. As as the as the black widow was just really, it's good. Yeah. She's putting a lot of. Uh, of uh, effort into it because so she notices that no it's a man so she goes to her her little makeup thing and with the multiple spider arms around make her look um make her look gorgeous and we go to the camera and she's clearly modeled after a celebrity of that era yeah, probably i just forget which one except the fact yeah and of course the joke being that she has a big nose yeah uh-huh. i can relate and what I love is, as soon as this Black Widow character comes along, the speed of the animation gets faster yes. and wild, and it keeps up with it, and I really like that. Because, you know, so the uh, the Black Widow character leans into the uh, the, the moth, try to... Uh, it leans into the, to the moth, and, of course, the nose pops out again. Moth's like, oh, no way. So then, um, so then, of course, the moth you know, jumps up, the spirit has left him, disappears, the spirit also disappears with him, and then we get action! We get a chase! Yes. And it's, um, it's actually pretty good, you know, just grand animation of, of the, uh, the moth running across the bar, yeah. and it's like, it's like half live action footage, half drawn, yeah. so it looks... It, it, it looks good. Yeah, no, no, I, I like that. And then we have a, a moment where it's just going across a very nicely detailed background of a guy playing uh, cards. Yes. You know, and they're you know, ditching around the guy, and then Black Will just you know, yells out a, a card move. Yeah. That's off. cool. And then for a brief three seconds, we reuse footage of the moth running. Hmm, okay. I didn't notice that. I caught okay. that. I did, and um, yeah. Then we get a nice, a, a, a pretty, okay, okay, gag of the moth going into this like punch bowl and jumping across the ice cubes. Hmm. Yes. And then we get a Carl Stalling music cue and animation on this Black Widow that was very early Pepe Le Pew. A little. Very like. I was like, oh, okay. I can see some origins here. Okay. And then she ruins it by saying, uh, woof, woof, something like Uncle Tom's Cabin, oh, ain't it? Oh, no. Oh. Oh. No. Uh, 
But then as soon as she says that, she does um, drown into the um, into the punch or whatever. Then the narrator comes back into it, saying like, ah, you know, no, he beat the, the Black Widow. He didn't. He didn't like. The, she didn't like the mock got away. And then she took out his book. I love this. And, next then, line. and then she just says, "I love this next line so much." Is, yes, I, I love this too. And of course, Joe being that moth is attracted to a flame. So, so it's it's just the way that this this cartoon weaves in and out of the sort of the verse that Mel Blanc is doing. That it just you know occasionally it subscribes to it and and goes in and out of the story and and still with the characters. I like that. And th yeah. this, I think you're selling me on this more and more as we go. I'm just trying what happens. So. Then we so then we have this very nice classic cartoon gag of you know the 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 black widow lifts the lifts the uh, a lighter and the fire turns into hands you know Definitely telling the, the cartoon character hey come over here you know and then the turn turns him around it hypnotizes him I like that I got yeah. little like summoning of of his power and then the moth gets and then the black widow gets the moth and. I loved the hysterical laughing Sarah Burner does yeah. here. It's 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 a very it's actually close to like a daffy laugh. Honestly, it's like oh, oh that's a pretty good laugh there. The spider takes the moth to the um to her hideout, <laughs> puts a bunch of signs up. No, don't be next Christmas. I love. And, uh, I love this one. I love this one. We want to be alone. Yes. Garba. German? No, Greta Garba. German. Oh. Because her big line was, I want to be alone. So it's clearly a very topical early 40s Greta Garba reference. Then um, the moth is screaming for help, screaming for help. We cut back to the bee. Remember her? Yeah. Remember the bee? She's back. Yeah. So um, the bee hears the help. And you know, she takes off the bale. She puts on the flowers. Go save her husband, and for and, and then so she does that, and she you know she barges right. She she lifts the house up. She lifts the entire house up to go in there. She turns into a B nineteen plane as well. Yes, yeah, turns into a B nineteen plane. Stops everything, and she takes out her stinger. The black widow takes out her stinger, and then we get and they fence and they fence in and. Okay, this sword fight, it's so absurd and weird that yeah. I kind of love it. I kind of love it. Like, like yeah. it's, it's silly, but I love it. So, the bee wins. She stings the Black Widow, and the Black Widow just says, uh, confidentially, she stings. And... Uh, that didn't work for me. Yeah, because like, that's it. Like, like, she admits defeat. Like, oh, well, you're stung me. Guess you're done. And um, yeah, the bee wins. And here's what here's what kills me is the the last line of the cartoon text, the last animated from this bee character is she says to the moth, "My hero." The moth didn't do shit. <laughs> Why is the moth your hero? And the moth didn't do a goddamn thing. You did a lot of things. Because a bunch of men animated this. 
yes, and, and again, like I don't know if I should give this 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 short credit for having the woman character, you know, take off the veil. F this, I'm gonna go save my husband, or not because it just ended with her. It it's like she she takes a step forward and then immediately step back, and just ah. Anyway, so no, th- then we we go back to uh. To Leo White as the piano player just says, you know, they got married, they moved, and now they live on the cuff. And <laughs> and because we couldn't just end with, you know, the bee, you know, just kissing the moth, and we couldn't just end with because the ending of this is probably also equally as weird. Because the, the piano player is done, he gets up, and he just says, uh, now, uh, now, between you and me, I never understood what that, what that, what that lovely little bee found in that silly moth. Oh, well. And then the moth shows up on the piano, goes, oh, yeah, and then eats the piano guy's pants, the piano pants knows this, he's, when he's, his underwear, he freaks out, and then the camera turns on over to the studio that could not record sound for this as he just falls over, and then we just end there. So it's like a SpongeBob episode ending. How SpongeBob episode ending? Also, look, I'm we don't kink shame here. If that piano guy just has a thing for bees in about 70 something years, there'll be something for him, anyways. Uh, all right, so what do you think of this? What do you think of this shark? Well, well, I mean, it was very, it's a very energetic cartoon, and like yeah. the previous one, it has a lot of the sort of zany, obnoxious energy that Bob Clampett is known for. And there's a lot of cool ideas, but the first watch, I was like, oh, I don't know if I like sitting through this. But then going through it in here, I sort of got it a little more. And I got a lot of the details that worked. And I'm like, this is not as bad as I initially thought. Mm-hmm. So I'm giving it a 3 out of 5. I originally had it at a 2.5, but I'm like, you know, I can kind of appreciate this now. So it, it's a 3 out of 5. I'm also giving it a 3 out of 5. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I gotta say, good statement. Um, I really like the animation in this one uh, a bit more. I, I like how, like, how how energized and just it just it, 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 it once we got to like Will scene, it just went it just went really fast, really quick. The gags were just silly enough for my liking. The live action footage, you can argue, was completely unnecessary. You didn't need it. But it it gave it gave itself a decent short. I mean, it, it gave the short a decent ending. Uh, the premise itself is weird as hell, but uh, yeah, I I'd say this is a, a a good one to put on. You know, like I like this is a good short to put on if you've already gone through the Bugs Bunny ones and the Daffy Duck ones. Like this is a good like if you want to get into like the random stuff. This. You could do much worse than this short. Yes. It's it's your standard clamp it, what the hell, but at the same time, it's kind of admirable kind of stuff. Yeah. All right. Do we want to move off of clamp it for this next one? 
Yes, let's move on to Clampett and on to a different assortment of talents. Yeah. This is a guy we don't talk about very often because he didn't direct a lot of cartoons, but it's a guy by the name of Arthur Davis, who was basically, you know, a great animator from this era, did a lot of the great McKimson Freeling kind of cartoons, I think. Uh, and he got to direct a couple to near the end of the late 1940s, early 1950s. And one of the, the only Bugs Bunny cartoon that he got to direct was called Bowery Bugs. And it's the third one that we're covering today because of some things that won't become evident until we've really explained things. Or if you've seen it, you can, you can kind of get it. I mean, hopefully this one we can do justice and then talk about how weird it is. Oh, yes. But um, yeah, Arthur Davis directs it. Lloyd Turner does the script. It's, it's weird because the, the, origin, the official credits for this cartoon are, um, you know, because, you know, Lloyd Turner and William Scott. And William Scott was credited, um, but he has said in interviews, uh, event, he, had, he does an interview eventually with, um, with Keith Scott, you know, of course. Um, Rocky and Bullwinkle historian, and um, the, the narrator from George of the Jungle. Um, and he's, he does an interview later, he says, they put my name on that, but I don't have any recollection of working on it. Oh. And it may have just been a thing where he was frequenting the studio a lot, and they just slapped his name on there. But this is a Lloyd Turner script, and William Scott has nothing really to do with it. Indeed, he'd, he'd get a lot more done in uh, other animation studios. Working with uh, actors such as June Foray on a little cartoon. I don't have a lot of background knowledge on Rocky and Bullwinkle, so I had to really do my research and say, oh, that's him! Oh, okay, cool. But um, Oh, come on. You've watched the film The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle starring Robert De Niro. Yes, but that's really the extent of it. I've watched that, and I've watched the, Peabro the Peabody and Sherman movie, which actually is really good, by the yeah, way. That's good. Like, if you haven't seen the Peabody and Sherman movie, I liked it a lot. I actually, and I forget if I've told you about this, but I got to see the Peabody and Sherman movie while we were in Walt Disney World. We went to the theater, uh, the dining theater in in downtown Disney. Uh, downtown, yeah. And we just saw a DreamWorks movie in Walt Disney World, which was weird. But it was a good movie. I liked it a lot. And it's one of the very, one of the many animated movies that are aided by a great Patrick Warburton performance. So I, I, to anybody listening, check that out. It's really underrated. But yeah, um, this comes out on June 4th, 1949. <clears throat> The only notable thing I can find on that date is the debut of the uh, the show Cavalcade of Stars, which is sort of, you know, early TV event, I believe. Okay, so this cartoon is based on the true story of Steve Brody, the man who jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge and survived, which makes this a very interesting cartoon. This is based on a true story. Ah. This is putting Bugs Bunny in a true story, Which is something they would do occasionally, you know, there's sorts of... No Bugs Bunny during the Revolutionary War and whatnot, but um, right. This event occurred in when in eighteen uh, somewhere in the eighteen eighteen eighties. This short comes out in the nineteen forties. Right, and there was actually a movie released about it. I forget the name of it in the nineteen thirties, the early nineteen thirties, about Steve Brody. Okay, and you know. So people knew about this incident. It was not exactly unripe for parody, but it was, you know, it was interesting, especially considering that a lot of, you know, Brooklyn still had a baseball team. Well, wait, no, 19... Yeah, Brooklyn still had a baseball team when this came out. So d dem bums were up in uh, up in Abbott's Field playing and, you know, give some more support to Brooklyn. So 
Yeah, it makes it a very interesting cartoon, considering that he jumps off and survives, if you know what happens in this cartoon. So, <laughs> it's, it's very interesting. Okay, so getting into this one, um, the title card dissolved into Bugs talking over stills of the Brooklyn Bridge, talking about, you know, the schematics of everything, and he's got this plaque about Steve Brody jumping off the Brooklyn Bridge, and he's explaining to this old fellow, and just, he has this whole story about it. Very quickly, Arthur Davis's Bugs design. Very similar to Robert McKimson's. Mm -hmm. A bit more stylized, a wider mouth, different shape. It's definitely a very unique design compared to McKimson's or even um, or even Chuck Jones's. There's there's more of the there's more shapes. There's more abstract shapes going on. I think, in my opinion, maybe I'm crazy. So we get a couple of of still shots animated uh, of you know the 1880s, and there's a marquee shot of the Bowery in Brooklyn. And there's a sign saying, um, a sign hanging on a, on a, a building saying, had enough? Vote for D Grover Cleveland. <laughs> I love the montage stills we get of Steve Brody's, because all, you know, Bugs tells the story of Steve Brody. Very, very nicely drawn. Oh yeah, great. I love that. It's it's very old time sort of thing. Uh, I love the montage of stills of Steve Brody as this gambling type. He has horrible luck. He's thrown out of all these casinos. He has the thought process of, of getting a rabbit's foot, and he's t checking all these stone lions for rabbit's feet, which is hysterical. Also, you know, and Bugs like it, but of course he had to go back to the primeval, the woods. Lol, in the 1980, in the 1880s, the idea of primeval was Flatbush. Uh, Flatbush is pretty built up these days. I'm, I haven't exactly been to Flatbush, but I, I know people who, who live around there, and it's, it's, it's pretty gentrified now, I think. So yeah, Steve Brody goes literally into, you know, the, the, the woods part of Brooklyn. And, you know, Bugs is, is singing, you know, from a hole, you know, all is not gold, it's good to, you know, just a, a nice song like that. And, and, and Steve Brody, you know, traces it, and by the time he yanks him out, Bugs is doing his own refrain. And happiness will be thine, will be thine, love. It's the funniest shit, but, um, and by the way, you know who that is, is Steve Brody? Billy Bletcher. Billy Bletcher! Again. Back again! They loved him so much. I tell you. So much. The Warner unit loved Billy Bletcher. Not as much as Mel Blanc, Stan Freeberg, and June Foray, but they loved yeah. him. So it is great. Um, okay, so the whole the, the premise of this is that Bugs you know, wants to keep his leg, and he explains to Steve Brody, okay, look, uh, you want to change your luck, go to this Swami downtown. Swabi Ramatima knows all, tells all. And he's in, in Brooklyn. And you can go see him, and it'll change your luck, because, you know... And right here, Bugs decides he's going to screw with uh, Steve Brody. Because, you know, the second Steve Brody goes into this Swami's place, it's obviously Bugs as the Swami. And he yells, you know, enter, O seeker of knowledge. And then somehow Mel goes into a Yosemite Sam voice. That means you, fathead! I love that. Uh, <laughs> I love that. It's great. Yeah, it's awesome. Also, I love how, love how within, like, 15 seconds, Bugs Bunny was able to either establish this fortune-telling business to mess with him, or this is like some sort of sex side gig Bugs has on the side when he's in Brooklyn. It's like, yeah, I know, I live in my hole. When I get bored, I just pretend to be a fortune teller. You know, it, it, it sounds like something he would do. Okay, uh, very simple jokes here. Bugs asks Brody if he wants his palm red, paints it red. Uh, how about reading the bumps on your head? I ain't got no bumps on me head. And bumps it's on the head. Now you have. Bugs is wonderfully demented mm. in this one. He, he's, he's very good at sort of, you know, just making Steve Brody's life hell, which is, you know, a great hook for this. Um, uh, so Bugs casts himself as another person, a man wearing a red carnation, 
as a good luck charm that Brody can take places and gamble and he'll 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 do better. But Bugs, of course, has him lose more matches and Bug and Brody loses more money. He does a <laughs> slot, slot machine. Machines. Lemons pop out instead of money. More lemons. Yeah. It's great. Uh, I love the gag here that as he's getting mad in this particular bar, there's a very short bar owner. Knows Brody, knows what he's up to, and he calls over the bouncer. He goes, hey, gorilla. And it's an a- actual gorilla pops out of the elevator. <laughs> yeah, sure. I love sure, that. Why not? And then we just see him just showed him out of that. So Brody, of course, goes back and to, to Bugs is the Swami. And Bugs is like, okay, we'll, we'll check horoscopes. When were you born? And, and Brody goes, I don't remember. I was pretty young then. Underrated great line. And a great read from Billy Bletcher. Billy Bletcher is really yeah. good in this one. Probably better than he was yeah. in, in West And also, also a great delivery of Bugs going, never mind. <laughs> I, I just love the lazy fear Bugs has with this because, again, yeah. Bugs is a bit demented in this short. And this is also a great demonstration of Bugs using psychology to mess with people. Because right. as we as we go into the short, Bugs is either on purpose or by accident, mentally like messes with him. And and we'll we'll yeah we'll get there we'll get there. But, uh, but yeah. Exactly. But it's 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 getting very psychological because you know, Bugs goes, okay, now you need to, to find love and you know, so go in and seduce any the first person you meet. And of course the first person C Brody meets is Bugs and Dragons. <laughs> and my favorite cut in this entire thing is the cut from Bugs in Drag yelling for help right to a policeman <laughs> repeatedly banging Brody on the head with a club. It's just seamless. It's yeah. so well-timed. A lot of this cartoon is so well-timed. And All right. So. I, I love this line because he goes back to Bugs in, in the, in the yes, and I he just yells, You sappy swarmy! I'm going to move it! <laughs> I just love so that use. And there's actual tension because Bugs is, uh, Steve Brody is literally just holding him by the neck, actually wanting vengeance. And Bugs is, you know, humanly is like, it's asking him specifically why he wants to change his luck. Says, and Brody just like straight faced, so I can make some dough. <laughs> Another great read. So, you know, the second Brody goes to a bakery asking for dough, we know the punchline. It's inevitable, it's but it still works. Great. And that leads to this entire ending bit, which is genius, but also demented and wild. And dark. So Bugs takes off his baker's hat, and, and Brody realizes that everyone he has met has been Bugs. He goes back to each one, and Bugs is all of them, saying, what's up, Doc? They don't even delineate whether or not he's they're all the same Bugs, or if he's in the same place each time, or if there are multiple Bugses, or maybe Brody is going crazy. It's the kind of ambiguous move that actually works because any answer makes sense. And because it's sort of abstract and cartoon logic, you can believe whatever you want. It's not just leaving out an answer for the sake of being artsy, Todd Phillips. But, you know I was going to go there. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, so Steve, Bro- Steve Brody is literally going to everyone and is going insane. Yeah. And then, and then he goes, everybody he met has been And then he goes to the fortune teller and Bush says, eh, what's up? And then he cut, then cuts him off to goes like, What's up, Doc? What's up, Doc? Rabbits! Oh, rabbits! Rabbits! And then he goes to the bridge. There's no police officer's like, oh! No, no, he looks oh, in the mirror. Right, 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 right. He looks in the mirror, and he thinks he's turning into a rabbit, and then Bugs screws with him there, which is also yes. hysterical. 
And Bugs Brody just hops towards the bridge yelling, What's up, Doc? And they just goes to police officer. It's like, Officer, officer, I think everyone's turning into rabbits. And then Bugs just in an Irish accent going like, What's up, let's talk about rabbits, Doc? I, that's, 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 <laughs> so good. And yes, this means that Bugs' tomfoolery has driven a man to jump off a bridge, and if this short is to be believed, kill himself. Uh, we should have put a content warning at the beginning. Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> yes. And again, as you know, we are from the 21st century, and I assume, unless you're heavily... Unless you like live in Brooklyn or you just know about the city, you probably don't even know this was a real thing. Hell, I didn't know this actually happened. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, the short just it ends up falling off the bridge. We cut back to the to bugs in modern day with the old man. Yeah. Which just goes, yeah, that's how it happened. The old guy's like, Okay, I'll take it. And, and it just pays bugs for the turn of this entire time. This old man, the, the, the big joke being that uh, it turns out bugs did have a bridge to sell you, and it was the Brooklyn Bridge. Yes. That, that's our. That is hysterical. Story. Such a bizarre and funny move to end it. All right, so, so you chose this short. So, what specifically brought you to want to talk about this one? Because. It's the kind of bizarreness that creeps in on you and makes you think it can happen. Because you don't, it doesn't seem bizarre to you until about halfway through when Brody is basically figuring it out and you get the sort of psychological ramifications of bugs screwing with him, where Brody just literally loses his mind. It's basically the Looney Tunes version of a Charlie Kaufman film. It's just the most weird and bizarre logic to me, even if it does on paper look like a normal Bugs Bunny cartoon. But also, it's weird in the sense that this is Arthur Davis's only Bugs Bunny cartoon. Mm. It's basically a unicorn. It's one of a kind. It's our one of our few tastes of seeing Arthur Davis's real animation worldview. It's so odd to me in so many ways. And that's honestly why I wanted to talk about it, you know, in, as opposed to the more outlandish, abstract sort of weird Looney Tunes. This is a weird Looney Tunes cartoon that plays by the rules, is by all intents and purposes in a sane Looney Tunes cartoon. But when you really think about it, it's bonkers. It's nuts. And it still feels like this is its day. Now, I still love this cartoon. It's still refreshingly dark and demented and hysterical and amazing. Mm -hmm. It's not your normal Bugs Bunny cartoon nope. by any stretch or means, but from a standpoint of Bugs being the eternal aggressor, it's phenomenal. It's a great all-star Bugs one of Bugs just needling into a villain until he can't take it anymore. But unlike Yosemite Sam or Elmer Fudd, this l villain loses his entire sense of sanity of right and wrong. And that's profound and ridiculous for a short-form seven-minute cartoon. So, yeah. It feels different from most Bug shorts, most McKimson shorts. Uh, there are so many great variations of not solving this man's luck. There's The whole psychological ramification still works for me. It's wild. It's ridiculous. I love this cartoon to death. I give it a 4.5 out of 5. Ooh. Ooh, really? 
Yeah, wow. I do. I, I genuinely adore this one. Oh, okay. Well, um, I'm giving it a three out of five because, first of all, okay, so it's the funniest one of the bunch for me. I really like the freak out at the end. And again, it's just a little thing. And not so much the big gags that did it for me, but the smaller stuff. The um, the random Mel Blank yell outs. And for example, like there's a moment where when he gets kicked out of the bar, like a, a dog licks him. And even the dog is like, oh, God, yes. he, even the dog doesn't like him. And it's... Yeah, yeah that's funny. Um, I, I could, I could, however... See, the problem that all this guy really wanted was to improve his luck. Because that's it. It's not, it's not like this guy was a bad dude. He was just a, a gambling man who went out on his luck. And it's just the fact that... Well, he wanted Bugs' yes, leg, and Bugs wanted that, his leg. <laughs> the fact that he got violent, and Bugs just messing with him so much that it does drive him to, in this cartoon's universe, suicide. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so that bit of a dark um, end note there. So uh, yeah, it's 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 been shocking to me that I've I've liked a lot of these more than you. Have. Yeah, and it, <laughs> it's a good short. I'm not saying this it's like it's like a, it's like a bad short. Like it, it's definitely for me be the most um, entertaining one. I've, I've right. Honestly, it's more honestly it's more like a three point five really than that three. So yeah, that's that concludes our weird, our weird short episode. That was a lot. That was a lot. We learned so many things today, such as respect the moth and don't jump off the Brooklyn Bridge. No, don't, don't do uh, it. All right, now let's uh, let's read some comments. Yes, let's read some comments. All right, so this first comment is, oh, okay, he, uh, this is a friend um, of mine from the, because um, what a lot of people don't know is that uh, we're in a bunch of different other fandoms, um, and one of the other, uh, not fandom, but we're also in a uh, Whose Lines In Anyway group chat of sorts, and one of the people we have met in this group chat is a guy by the name of Brandon Pierce. He goes by um, at Invader Pet on uh, Twitter. He's a good guy. Um, he says uh, on the subject of Bowery Bugs, Bowery Bugs is an underrated Bugs Bunny short and just makes me wish that Art Davis had been allowed to do more Bugs shorts. Us too, Brandon. Art Davis. Obviously, you know, his, his exploits as an animator have not been exaggerated. He's fantastic as an animator. He's got that sort of mindset. He should have been able to direct more rather than just his occasional goofy gophers or whatever other stuff he directed. Um, this should have been a good debut for him. Uh, but instead, he was back to just animating in the Kimson unit and other units. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, and our um, our second comment is from a good friend of the show, uh, Cody, yes, who Cody. goes under at Manime Conquest. His comment is that he likes donuts. Um, don't we all? No, no, I I also like donuts. Um, what's your preferred donut? Oh God. Um, all right, because we've I think we've had this conversation before. Because there's two, um, where we are in Jersey, um, there's two camps you could be in, in the donut camp. There is um, the the Dunkin' faction of donuts, and then there is the Krispy Kreme faction of donuts. And I am more of a fan of Krispy Kreme. I uh, sincerely love the sort of glazed um, taste of those. Um, Mark, what is your donut preference? It's the Krispy Kreme. Yes. 
Would you believe that if I told you that it wasn't until high school that I actually had Krispy Kreme? Oh, no, same. Yeah, yeah, because like my history professor, one day he's like, hey, I'm I'm, I'm going to bring in uh, Krispy Kreme donuts. I'm like, you are? It's like, yeah, uh, if I'll be nice. So sure enough, next day he comes in with uh, Krispy Kreme uh, glazed donuts. Mm. That, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, there were a number of like... Um, either it was something because you know at my high school there was like random events where it was like a, a bake sale or a blood drive or something where there'd be corporate stuff or like Five Guys fries or Diane's water ice or Diane's water ice is a, a landmark by us uh, really really good Italian ice or um, uh, donuts be it Dunkin' or Krispy Kreme. And I had my chance to have a good right. Dunkin' or good Krispy Kreme, and I love the Dunkin'. Uh, the, the, I love the Krispy Kreme ones because they're just a more simple taste. And by the way, fun fact for any of you listeners who live near Krispy Kreme: if you go buy a Krispy Kreme while the little orange neon um, uh, bit of the sign is lit up in the middle, that means that donuts have just been baked and they are hot and ready, and that oh. um, is the best time to have them. If the orange little beacon in the middle of the Krispy Kreme sign is not lit, then they're less warm. And on the subject of donuts, before we actually talk about relevant things, um, the the best, uh, this is a Philadelphia thing. Um, I don't know why I know this much about donuts. I'm kind of thin. But um, Philadelphia has um, a place all around called Federal Donuts where, um, and mm, yes. oh, you've had Federal Donuts. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yes. Um, they have really exotic and wonderful flavors of donuts. They're all – most of the ones at Federal are, are cake donuts and it's that sort of batter. But like there are good like cookies and cream or strawberry shortcake or oh, there's yeah. a good pumpkin one I had last year. And when I used to work at a job in Philadelphia, my boss would occasionally come in with Federal Donuts. And it was one of the perks of that very difficult job. So if you're in Philadelphia – uh, try and find some place that has federal donuts. They are really good. Um, and, uh, it, I would, I would equate it as like the, the donut version of like an insomnia cookies. If you have one of those by you. And if you don't have one of those by you, uh, too bad. They're great. Um, especially when they're warm. You, you, uh, Cody, you thought this was just a regular little comment, but you, we actually took it and had an actual conversation about donuts. The joke is on you, my friend. That's for being a smart ass. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> no, but seriously, um, we, that's, that's all good, man. Thank you. Yeah. But thank you. Thank you guys for that. And, um, uh, enjoy a good donut on us. <laughs> All right, so next week, hey, next week's show. Okay, I'm going to spare you. There are no Bob Clampett shorts in this one. Really? Good. So the ones the ones we're going to do are fairy tale Looney Tune cartoons. This is the, the, the Grim Fairy Tales or something that Warner Brothers cartoons have been doing for ever. It's, a, it's very easy. They're all public domain stories, so anyone can make cartoon shorts about them. The ones we're going to be, the ones we're going to be covering are A Bear's Tale, okay. Pony Fables, okay. and Little Red Riding Rabbit. Okay. So I'm familiar with one out of the three. So, yeah, so we're going to be covering uh, those three next week. All right. If you want to keep up with all of us on Twitter, you can follow me at Mark Hanlon, 1995. And you can follow me at Tall Guy Schmidt. If you'd like to keep up with the podcast and give your thoughts for next week's show, 
You can follow at that underscore loony or type in the podcast title. We are the first result. You can also find our podcast wherever podcasts are readily available. That includes your Spotify podcasts, your Apple podcasts, your Google podcasts, your Player FMs, your wherever the heck you're going for us will be there. All right. So until next week, I'm Mark. And I'm Jordan. I'm going to go detox. <laughs> <laughs>